You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. I'm involved in Every Nation Campus, Asia, and Oceania. Actually, we're covering the whole region because our movement, Every Nation, is an international movement if this is your first time hearing this. And so... Part of my job is to go around the different Every Nation campus of different uh, international cities and basically help them train our staff, just really help grow the ministry there. A few weeks ago, we were, me and my wife, we went to New Zealand. We have an Every Nation church in Auckland, New Zealand, and we had a staff summit for all the staff, Every Nation campus staff of Oceania, meaning the Pacific region. Uh, that's Australia, New Zealand, and all the many little islands there. We had a great time. Pastor Joe led the team that went there and really just equipped all our staff. Amazing stories. You know, these are people facing some of the toughest, they're, they're facing some of the toughest first world opposition to the gospel. But at the same time, some of the islands are facing some of the worst poverty we've ever heard to gather them together. One of the things that I really appreciate with what we're doing is uh, for us to be able to see every nation in the different countries, because in the Philippines, we're not just Alamang, we're all over Metro Manila, we're all over the Philippines, but to see every nation, in fact, in other parts of the world, and to see their heart for campus ministry, to have that same goal to reach out and see the next generation come to Jesus Christ. It's such, a, such an amazing, amazing feeling for me knowing that I am part of this organization. You know, this is the organization I probably will never leave. I want to work here until I grow old, until we have grandkids. And for me, personally, I love my job. But we're all doing this together. Whatever, all the report that you're seeing here, this is all of us. This is not just because of the campus missionaries. But this is us, the pastors, our leaders, all of us. This is our heart. This is why we have this series called Beyond. Our second week, as we close this series, as we talk about the next generation, as we talk about campus ministry, this is really an evidence of the heart of our movement to see young people, to value young people. In a world where we value so many other things, the heart of God himself, not just the movement, to see young people, to see the next generation come to Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 11, verse 22, we're just going to be reading one verse. Why don't we all uh, read this together? One, two, three. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. Holy Spirit, minister in our hearts. Lord, let this word be embedded in us so that when we go out here, God, Lord, we will really see your heart, God, for the next generation. We thank you and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Joseph's bones. Now, I grew up in church. I'm a product of kids' church. My parents are part of the church. By the time I was born, they were already Christians. And I know the story of Joseph. For some of you who grew up in church, you know the story of Joseph, right? Uh, for those of you, if this is your first time or you're not aware who Joseph is, if you know the play called Joseph the Dreamer, that's basically an interpretation of the biblical story of the life of Joseph. The life of Joseph, just to review, the known story of Joseph is this. This is a young, annoying kid who had a dream. And in his dream, he saw the stars and the moon bowing down to him. He saw the crops of his brothers bowing down to him. And he told his parents this. He told his uh, brothers this. He said, all of you someday will bow down to me. If you have kids, imagine this. Your 
six-year-old would knock on your door in the middle of the night and say, Mommy, Daddy, I have a dream. What is it? That one day you will bow down to me. <laughs> that's scary. But that's what Joseph said. And because of he was kind of an annoying kid, growing up, his brothers had this idea of selling him as a slave. They sold him as a slave to Egypt, became a slave in Egypt, started working for this guy named Potiphar, and he started excelling in that work, started getting promoted. Unfortunately, the wife of Potiphar, she had a crush on Joseph, but Joseph wouldn't budge. She had this idea of accusing him of attempted rape. He got sent to prison. While he was still in prison, the sovereignty of God was really evident because the Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, had a dream, and it was only Joseph who could interpret it. He interpreted the famine that is about to happen, the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. Now, because of this interpretation of the dream, he was promoted to be the prime minister of Egypt, meaning he's the second guy after the Pharaoh, the second most powerful man in the known world during that time, from this annoying little kid to the most powerful, second most powerful guy in the known world. That's the story I know of Joseph. Now, Hebrews 11 is what we call the Hall of Faith. Now, when we say the Hall of Faith, it's like, for some of you who have been, you're an honor student, okay? You know how it feels to be recognized. You know how it feels to be awarded a medal. The Hall of Faith is kind of like that. It is the review of the hundreds of Bible characters but they only listed the people with such amazing, audacious, mind-blowing faith. Their faith was just too extraordinary to be ignored. That that's why the writer of Hebrews placed their names here. Joseph made it into the list. But if you see how he made the list, we will not see anything of the story I just mentioned. Nothing here talked about him being a prime minister, how he had a lot of dreams. This came out of nowhere. His faith, he was recognized for the faith of believing, of giving directions that he should be buried in his hometown. Why is this part of the hall of faith? Now, he's not the only person who instructed this. His dad named Jacob had the same instruction. I don't want to be buried in Egypt. Bury me in our hometown. He did that after his death. He got buried there. But Jacob did not make the list. Only Joseph did. What's so special about this story? What's so special about the bones of Joseph that God in His sovereignty, the Holy Spirit who was governing the writing of the Bible throughout history started saying, put this in that book. Put this in the book of Hebrews. This particular part of Joseph's history. Genesis 50, this is where it all started. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, his great-grandfather, to Isaac, his grandfather, and to Jacob, his father, to our land, to our family land. I'm about to die. Bring me there. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, here's the difference. Let me explain this first. When we talk about faith, what we're saying is our ability to trust God for who He is, what He has done, and what He can do. I'll read that again. Our ability to trust God for who He is, completely for who He is, completely for what He has done, and completely for what He can do. I'll explain it this way. Yes, we trust God for who He is, but there are times that we look at certain situations in our life and it's hard. Now, if I ask you, 
this is just an example. If I ask you, would you believe, would you say yes or no, that my age is actually 20 plus years old? When I say 20 plus, all the years after 20. <laughs> now, I'm 30 plus years old. Would you say yes or no? Yes. When I say I am actually the campus director for Alabang, you would say yes because Pastor Rain said that. But what if I say that I can cook? Would you believe that? Would you say yes or no? Kind of mix. Some would say yes, some would say no. But here's the thing. Everyone can cook. From the word can, everyone can cook. It's just a matter of what the taste is going to be or how burnt it's going to be. Now, I can cook, but in terms of the result, you have the right. You can actually ask me, hmm, will that be delicious, Edre? Because I'm not sure. And sometimes we're like that with God. We know who He is, and for a lot of us, we know what He has done, that He lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, and He paid for our sin, our shame, and He buried it with Him. But after three days, He rose up again, resurrected after three days, declaring that He is the Son of God, and gave us eternal life because of that. And we know what He has done through Jesus Christ. But there are times that when it comes to His promises and His plan, we go through a season of, really, God, can you really do that? Because I don't feel it. I don't see it. I don't see my finances going well. I don't see my health going well. So when you promise to heal me, when you promise to prosper me, I'm not so sure. But the faith that we're talking about here is saying, I know who you are, God. I know what you have done. And I am completely confident of what you can and will do, regardless of what I feel, regardless of my situation. Faith. The reason why Joseph made this list is because of his faith called multi-generational faith. Basically, this is what he's saying. Jacob wanted to be buried the moment he died. But Joseph said this, Do not bury me. I don't want to be buried in Egypt, but bury me in our hometown. Only by the time that our whole country, which because of famine, they moved to, the whole Israel moved to Egypt, our whole country will be able to go out of the rule of Egypt and go back to the promised land that God had promised to my great-grandfather, to my grandfather, to my father. And by the time we have occupied that land, that is the only time you will bury me. And he knew it's not going to happen in his time. He's about to die. It's not as if it's going to happen the next day. He knew that he will not witness the promise of God that he so believed. But he said, the children of my children and the generations after generation will see it. That's what we call multi-generational faith. What is a multi-generational faith? It's faith to trust God for things that will be beyond our lifetime. Let's talk about this. Is my life a highlight or is my life a seed coming from that definition of multi-generational faith? When we talk about highlight, is my life a highlight? It's, I'm not, this is not necessarily wrong, okay? But a lot of us, including me, there are times that I would live my life in pursuit of my dreams, my aspirations, my comfort, my satisfaction, and those are not bad. But if my life is consumed of just that, then maybe my life is just a highlight. It's about me being significant to the world. But if it's a seed, that means, Lord, whatever my dream is, let my dream be the dream of the children of my children. Lord, the things that I'm working for hard now, Lord, let this produce fruit, maybe not in my time, but in the time of the children of my children, in the next generation. 
That's how it becomes a seed. And when we talk about seed, Exodus 13, 18, I'm just going to mention it here. In Exodus, Moses, he did talk about the bones of Joseph. This was already after. So Moses, they were about to exit Egypt. And then in the time of Joshua, Joshua 24, 31 to 32, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. In the next verse, it was mentioned here again, as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought out of Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the place of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor and the father of Shechem for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance for the descendants of Joseph. It was only during the time of Joshua when they entered, finally entered their promised land that the bones of Joseph was able to be buried. Here's the thing, from the time that Joseph said, do not bury me here, go conquer the land, go conquer the promised land, to the time that they were able to do that, that's actually 400 years. Joseph was believing for something that will only happen after 400 years. And I'm speaking for myself. Sometimes when I'm meeting someone and they're one hour late, you know, you know the... You're wasting my time, bro. And that's fine. I agree. But that audacity to say, God, I don't know how long your time is. I don't know your timeline, God, but I'm going to trust your timeline. And maybe I'm not going to see it, but the next generation will. That's multi-generational faith. That's being a seed. This is Pastor King Lucero. I mentioned we have youth services all over the city already. Now I think we're averaging around 700, sometimes 800 on a weekend with the different locations. We all added San Pedro as well. We've planted our campus ministry in Paranaque, in Las Piñas, and actually Santa Rosa was planted from here, Alabang. So imagine the whole scatter of, of uh, youth services all over the South Metro. But this is Pastor King. I love this guy. He's a, he's a Ninong. He's a godfather in our wedding. Very simple guy. He's very fun. The thing is, he was actually the campus director before me. And during the time when I was still a campus missionary, you know, he, he would plan for the service, he'll preach. But I'd be looking at the service because now, yes, we're about 800. But back then, we would be meeting in this tiny room and we would probably be around, I don't know, 100, 110. If we reach 150, we're, we already feel like we're changing the world. That's how extreme it got. That's how intense things were. Like, 150, yes, Lord, you can take us now, Lord. We're, we're, we've reached the ends of the earth, God, with 150 people. But Pastor King would continue doing the same thing over and over. He would preach the word. He would disciple students. He would raise up leaders. And I was getting frustrated because I'm like, no, we should be doing something. No, this is Alabang. No, when people see Alabang, you know, they should see this huge, huge service already because, you know, we're great. <laughs> How selfish. But he's like, nope, we're not doing that. We're just going to continue discipling. And for four years, it's as if nothing was happening. You know, the way I would look at it, it's as if someone was courting a girl and he would try all the effort he could give, but even after four years, the girl doesn't even know his name. That kind of a feeling. It's sad. But to see Pastor King do that, and he's like, no, we're going to continue this. But I remember after four years when things started just picking up a little bit, he went up to me and said, Edre, it's your time. What do you mean my time? It's your turn. What? You're the campus director now. Okay. And I didn't know what to do. But after two months, that 150 sometimes, 100 plus, grew into 500 in two months. Now, was I awesome? Not at all. I didn't even know what to do. I didn't think I did anything differently. If we look back, that was because someone 
was preparing the land for four years, discipling students, raising up leaders. So by the time he handed over it to me, we had leaders from everywhere already. That was a mindset of a guy who said, I may not see the promise now, but when I hand it over to the next generation, I pray that they will get to experience what we've been believing for. And now I, we're experiencing the fruit of the prayer and labor of a guy named Pastor King Lucero. He's a seed. Is my life a highlight or a seed? And the thing about being a seed is that a seed produces life. There's life inside of it. Because multi-generational faith is a faith that builds up and encourages the next generation. It's supposed to give life. Are our words and actions anointed with life or is it death? Now, obviously that this is rhetorical. Obviously life, Edre, that's what we choose. Life, yes, I agree. But sometimes there are words that comes out of our mouth for the next generation that, you know, sometimes because of our emotion, and I understand, I've probably said so many things that has, that has produced death in people. But words like, you're no use. I wish you weren't born. Your brother's better than you. Why are you not smart? Why can't you get this? Produces death. These words produces death. The science is actually studying it. This is a TED talk that I was recently watching. And I'll just read this. Okay? Basically, the gist of this whole presentation was childhood trauma caused by abandonment Neglect, or parents who are there, but they're barely there. Parental separation, divorce, substance abuse by parents, verbal or physical abuse has direct correlation with the child's health as he grows up. Correlation with sickness ranging from mental health issues to AIDS and cancer, according to science. That when a child receives death at home through words and actions, and we feel like, you know, the decisions that we make, me and my wife, we think that it's just between the two of us. But when we have kids, obviously, they're going to be affected. But here's the thing. What, here's what we're saying, this being a highlight or seed. Because these negative things that causes trauma, as little as it may look like sometimes, has massive consequences in the next generation. In fact, it is so huge that the effects are even spiritual. I've talked to a person. His major trauma was that someone told him, you're adopted. It looks trivial, but someone said that out of spite and that caused so much rejection in her. The words and actions we say, that we do, does it bring life or does it bring death? I'm encouraged. Here's why. Because if little death things could have massive consequences, I wonder how little live things, life things, could produce. That ability to come up to the next generation, to your children, and say, you know what? You did a great job. I'm so proud of you because you were very respectful. That builds something. You know, I remember growing up, the most mind-blowing thing for me was as a kid, it's because I'm always told to say sorry. Okay? If I've done something wrong, okay, say sorry. When I answer back to my parents, Edre should say sorry. So okay, fine, sorry, sorry. But I know when I've done wrong, I should say sorry. As hard as it is, even as a kid, you know, that sinful nature would come out like, oh, I don't want to say sorry. I don't want to admit I'm wrong. But I have to say sorry. But the moment I would hear my mom or my dad come to me and say, Edre, I'm so sorry I said that. I didn't mean that. I'm, I love you. They have no idea how big 
of an impact that is that if something hard, if this is, I know this is something hard to do because I'm having a hard time. But now I'm seeing my mom, I'm seeing my dad come up to me. I'm a kid. Who am I? This older person coming up to me and saying, Edrian, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. That was mind blowing. But what they didn't realize is the massive effect of life. That's why I can come to Jesus easily. They didn't have to do anything special. In fact, if I continue, multi-generational faith is faith that reminds us of the promise. What promise? It says here, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you out of his land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. He was saying, there was a promise that God gave my forefathers, and I am going to continue to believe that. So when we go you know, when, when I die, I know, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know we will conquer that land again because that has been promised by God. But here's the thing. He was believing for something that hasn't happened yet. He's believing for something that he, has, he hasn't seen physically yet. But what we have is a promise, the ultimate promise that God gave us, and it was fulfilled ultimately. The ultimate promise, among all the promises of God, the ultimate promise He fulfilled 2,000 years ago on the cross. Jesus being the evidence of the covenant of God for us. That is His statement of saying, this is how much I love you. This is how much I am sticking to my word, God is saying. That when His Son died on the cross, being the payment for our sin, the ultimate promise was fulfilled. Joseph was believing for a promise he has never seen. We are holding to a promise that has already been fulfilled. In fact, a multi-generational faith, it really boils down to this. Am I passing on a religion or am I passing on Jesus? When I say, am I just passing on a religion? My parents have done this, obviously, and I would be required to attend church. I would be in kids' church. And when I was already 11, 12 or 13, my, my dad was saying, okay, attend the youth service already. I'm like, no, I'm having fun here. I mean, I'm like, I'm 13 already. I was taller than most, and I'm like, I was still with kids. But then, no, but you have to go here. I have to attend life group growing up. Those are great things, but they could be religion. I have to read the Bible. That's great. That's amazing. We should do that. But sometimes it could just boil down to a religion. Have you read your Bible? Great. I mean, really, I've read it. Aren't you going to ask me what I've learned? Because that's just religion. We're just fulfilling. It's not bad, but we're just fulfilling checklists. But when we're saying, are we passing on Jesus? Are we reminding our children, the next generation of the promise that has been fulfilled. This means when Jesus showed us forgiveness, is the next generation seeing forgiveness at home. Then when someone hurt us, and I say this in full conviction because of so many heartbreaks that we've had with people. I've had relatives that I don't have any contact anymore because they chose to just go away and be angry with my family. And I love them. I'm like, I still want to talk to them, but but to see my parents say, Edrie, we're going to forgive. We're not going to answer back. They're not passing on a religion. They're showing me the Jesus that they met. When my dad would go into this moment of, when I get angry with someone, and he's, he's, he's going to say, but you know, Edre, you know, because of his sinful nature, he's only acting like that. And I'm like, dad, stop doing that. Stop pastoring me at home, dad. <laughs> but obviously, that's just not the job of the pastor. It's the job of the older generation to say, but remember who Jesus is. Not the works. That's why when they said sorry to me and they kept talking about forgiveness and I saw it from them, that was, that was worth more than a hundred sermons because they did not pass religion. They passed Jesus. 
what happens is if a person receives Jesus, this multi-generational faith, this will be automatic. We're not even going to force this. In fact, I'm going to end with the story. And this is from a student. This is not even from a parent or like a person my age. This is from a student. I was mind blown by this guy because a few weeks ago, as I mentioned, we've been reaching out to a lot of international students. I'm just not going to say the university, the school. He's uh, from a country in South Asia, which some Filipinos would have a negative connotation about. There was one time in his class, one of the professor came in and he said, you, and he said the nationality. You don't deserve to be in this school. You don't deserve to be in this university. You all should go back home. He was telling it to me. I was triggered. Because I hate racism. I, I hate it when other nationalities would say things about us. Because that's not all of us. That's unfair for you to judge an entire people group, to judge me just because I belong to a people group. But then now I'm hearing a Filipino doing this to a person of another country and I'm like, I was, I was getting furious and we were, in, we were in a coffee shop I'm like, that's unfair. You know what? We should file a petition to, your, to do this. We should have a signature signing. You know, you know what? I'm going to post it with Facebook. Like all these imaginations started running in my head. And he was like, no, we, I can't do that. I'm going to get in trouble. But our conversation started going into, you know what? Because his dream, this particular international student, his dream is to see hundreds if not thousands of international students come to Jesus Christ in his university huge dream definitely you would love to stand up with him for that but he has this major struggle you see the thing about people who are a seed even their struggles they don't come to God and say God this is unfair why is this happening to me they actually come to God and say God I'm going through something this is hard how do you want this to speak life to the next generation God if I need to go through this struggle so that the next generation won't have to then God by all means because this is this is what came out of that conversation Pastor Edre if I need to send a letter to this professor simple notes of saying Sir, thank you for teaching us today. I know we're kind of a headache, but I honor your patience. I hope to see you in next class. Maybe do that regularly. Maybe send him a chocolate or a pizza. If I have time, I'm going to go there. I'm going to bring some of my friends and we're just going to pray for him. Because he knew when he was out of Jesus, he was so filled with hate, And so maybe this guy who was saying these things to him is the same thing. But he received Jesus. And I asked him, so what if you don't see, because that's going to gonna cost time. You're believing to reach out your, to your entire school, to, 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 to the international students. What if that, that doesn't happen? I said, that's fine. Because I'm discipling someone. And maybe it's going to happen in his batch. Maybe if not in his batch, maybe in the batch that he's going to disciple. But what, I, what I'm going to do is prepare the ground. So that when revival comes in my school, even the teachers will be saved. And I'm the pastor. <laughs> I'm the triggered one. <laughs> because we did not pass a religion. What he has is Jesus Christ. Multi-generational faith. If you're here, 
and you're saying, God, I want to be a seed. I don't know if I've started, maybe I have, but God, Lord, today I just really, I, w- I want to make a decision, God, that I want to be a seed to the next generation, to the generations that will come after me. I don't want my highlight, I, I don't want my life to just be a highlight because highlights, they go away. That is, can you raise up your hand? I want to pray for you. For an older generation, you're saying, Lord, I want to be a, I want to be a seed to the next generation. I'm raising up my hands as well. Lord, thank you, God, for the hands of these men and women who are saying, God, let our lives be bigger than us. Let our lives get so big that it overflows, God, to the next generation. Whether that's through work, whether that's through, Lord, even whatever uh, um, field we may be in, God, Lord, if you need us to raise up, Lord, better doctors, God, and Lord, let me be a great doctor. If you need us, God, to raise better politicians, honest politicians, God, then Lord, while I'm in politics, God, Lord, help me build this, God, in integrity. God, if I'm going to be a teacher, Lord, help me raise up, God, a generation of students that will be hungry for you. Lord, let our lives be a seed. Let our success be a seed. But let our failures and struggles be a seed as well. So God, we're here. We're giving our lives to you. Thank you.